Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. How many of you have heard that verse quoted by someone before? Brave has. And when that verse is quoted, it usually is taken at face value. Well, Jesus said, the poor are always going to be among us. And so there it is. It doesn't really matter what we do. There will always be more opportunity to love and serve the poor. Like we try to put our positive Christian spin on it, you know? Jesus said the poor is always going to be among you, but he's not. So we really, even, even more than our goodness toward the poor, we need to be worshiping Jesus. We put that spin on it. That's a, that's a normal Christian thing we would do. Um, we need to have worship services instead of just do social justice. And I started reading this book, We Cry Justice. And instead of preaching you a sermon about what Jesus says about the poor, I'm going to read to you like four paragraphs. Is that okay? Four paragraphs. The poor you will always have with you is what Jim Wallace of Sojourners calls the most famous verse in the Bible. Matthew 26.11 takes place when Jesus is having a meal with his disciples during which a woman comes and pours an alabaster jar of ointment on his head. This anointing scenes happen at Bethany, meaning house of the poor. It occurs directly after Jesus has turned over tables and challenged religious and political authorities for impoverishing people, and right before Judas betrays Jesus by turning him over for only 30 pieces of silver. With this action, the woman anoints Jesus, and he becomes the anointed one, which the word for anointed one is Christ. Greek for anointed one. He's deemed the Messiah. He's set apart by God to usher in a reign of justice. Pretty powerful stuff, right? See how it's all coming together. She prepares him for his burial, which none of the disciples understand because they don't know that he's about to be executed by his own government. The disciples criticize this woman for wasting, or the actual word is destroying, this expensive ointment. They say instead of breaking the jar and using it all, um, they could have sold it for a year's salary, a year's salary, and given it to the poor. This idea of earning lots of money and giving the proceeds to the poor encapsulates how we in America often try to address poverty. Christians will do charity work. We've all done that, right? We'll work, we're buying and selling and donating to the poor. We're super good at that. But we never question how poverty was created in the first place. When Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you, he's quoting a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 15 which says that there will be no poor person among you if you follow God's commandments. God's commandments include forgiving debts, releasing enslaved people, 
paying people fair wages and lending money even when you won't get it back. God set up a government for His people of Israel. And He said, this is how society is supposed to run. You will release the slaves. You will cancel debts. You will give without wanting to receive. And this verse claims that because people will not follow God's commandments, the poor will never cease to be in their land. So we can hear Jesus say that, and we can say, yep, Jesus said the poor will always be among you. And so that means we're, we always have people to serve. Or we can say, like theologian Reverend, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, that maybe... Jesus might have been saying to his disciples, poverty's not going to go away in your time because you're not questioning the source of it. You're not implementing the government I taught you to implement of forgiveness, of setting slaves free, of making societal laws and rules that help people live and thrive. Instead, you think that your charity work is somehow good enough to relieve poverty. It's not. Nowhere in the passage or the entire Bible does God condone poverty. Jesus is reminding us that God hates poverty and has commanded us to end it by forgiving debts, raising wages, outlawing slavery, and restructuring society around the needs of the poor. And Jesus pointed out that the prophet's teachings on justice are more than band-aids. They're more than charity. He's reminding his disciples that charity will not end poverty, but instead will keep it with us always. Jesus is reminding his followers that he will be killed for bringing God's reign here on earth, and that it is their responsibility to continue this quest for justice. When you commit to the long work of ending poverty for families and generations, you participate in God's societal structure to set people free. And God's structure works. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes to change a generation, you have to work with a whole family But once you've worked with that family and they own a home and they know how to budget their money and they understand that there's a different way of thinking about their lives and resources have been given and debts have been forgiven and lease payments have been given back, you can see entire generation shift and change. So the things that we've committed to at chapel are things that we believe God has called us to be part of societal change so that whatever this big debated term is called God's kingdom can begin to reign and rule in places where people are enslaved and where people are in debt and where people are being oppressed by guns and by each other and by systems that keep them down. And so Jesus says to his disciples, maybe, you will always have the poor among you, 
And they would remember that verse in Deuteronomy 15 that said, if you do this God's way, you won't have the poor among you. And maybe in saying that, Jesus is saying, stop with the charity and do something long term. I really took a stretch there. But I am supported by Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, and we cry justice. I wanted to share that with us tonight because I wanted to provide a validation and an affirmation into what we are doing. The things that we're putting our hands to, to beautify a park, research shows that beautification of an area will decrease gun violence in that area because that place becomes a spot that is respected and loved and shows value to everyone who passes by it. When someone passes by a beautiful space, they feel their own value. When you're at the ocean staring out at this magnificent creation of God, all of a sudden you understand your own value, your own being. And we can be part of that in places that have not been allowed to look beautiful. It's the same with home ownership. It's the same with chess. It's the same with reading. It's the same with parks. It's the same with toy libraries. It's the same with everything that we're putting our hands to because we're trying to do it God's way. And we're not doing it perfectly, but we're trying to do it God's way because we believe that if we can do this in the Jesus way, then we will see poverty end for families. That we will see poverty end for societies that we will see poverty end for generations and when that happens we will resonate with Deuteronomy 15 that says if you follow my commands there will be no poor person among you that's what Jesus was doing that's one of the things Jesus was up to and if we can get on board with that we can be part of big, 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 big change. And we are. So, Rick Warren says, always provide an application at the end of a sermon and make sure that that application is a way that people can volunteer at your church. So I'm going to do that tonight because Rick Warren told me to. Jump in on a toy library. Jump in on a park. Jump in on a house. Hey, kiddos, don't go in the road. Stay over here, please. The power of the microphone can save lives. Jump in on the things that are happening. Jump in on Chess Club. Come and build relationship with people because it will not only change the lives of the people that you're investing in, it will help you understand that we're all the same. And when we understand we're all the same, we fight for each other in the same way we fight for ourselves. So Jesus, thank you that we can engage with what you're doing. Thank you for the opportunity to try to do this stuff through chapel. Thank you for what you have done through us. Thank you for what you're doing through us. And please continue to give us peace and protection as we move forward with everything that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.